I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to yet another episode of Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. Today, our guest is Andrew Lowenthal. During his career in government, notably as COO of the New Schools and Charter Schools Division of the New York City Department of Education, Andrew Lowenthal joined the board of Out in Tech. We'll hear today how he became the organization's executive director, but more impressively, we'll hear how, as a one-man band, he's changing Out in Tech from a social outlet to one that is tackling a variety of issues, diversifying the employee pipeline to tech companies, advocating for LGBTQ uh, individuals abroad by developing websites and campaigns for those in countries where there is intolerance of LGBTQ communities, and... Also in his first year, Andrew launched a 40-speaker, 450-person conference. Uh, it's quite the story, and he next year is planning to do it at Madison Square Garden for 40,000 people. Uh, that's kind of a joke. Um, but not really, because it seems like he's capable of it, because this guy dreams big. Um, we're only a few months in, and Andrew has reshaped out in tech entirely. What will come next, we'll find out in the next uh, 45 minutes or so. I am Jeremy Scheinwald, founder of the Mission Driven Group and volunteer podcaster for Venture for America. VFA is a fellowship program which attracts enterprising recent college graduates who launch their careers as entrepreneurs and help revitalize America's cities. After five weeks of training, VFA fellows spend two years in the trenches of a startup in an emerging U.S. city where they learn how to contribute to high-growth businesses. Afterwards, VFA provides the, the mentorship, network, and resources fellows need to become entrepreneurs. To learn more about, more about Venture for America, to support our work, or possibly to apply to become a fellow yourself, check out VentureForAmerica.org. And if you're enjoying our show, please like it on iTunes, maybe tell a few friends about it, tweet about it, put it on Facebook. Um, we love more listeners, and it helps to sustain our podcast as well. Um, so without uh, further ado, here is our interview with Andrew Lowenthal, Executive Director of Out in Tech. Welcome to Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. Building things can be really hard, and entrepreneurship is often portrayed in the media as the sexy or even worse, easy career path. Through this series, we plan to pull back the curtain and tell the gritty stories of entrepreneurship. We're striving to create a relaxed environment where entrepreneurs feel free to tell their stories. This is Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. Andrew, thanks so much for uh, for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And we should warn our guests that if they, if you hear aloud, I'm going to do like a. There we go. Uh, that means that Andrew's head has hit the mic because he just told me before the show that he's not eaten much today, and uh, and and braved uh, a long commute to get here. So we thank him for for being here. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's let's start. I mean, we're here to talk about out in tech, but you know, you you had a. An interesting career in government before that, um, notably four years at, at the New York City Department of Education. I'm always curious about something. When I meet people from government, I have some friends of mine in government, and it's like, you know, we're coming out of a pretty bruising campaign, and often government is vilified during these campaigns. And, and 
you know, it's like, it's, it's kind of everyone, it's like government is just some massive, unknowable, um, you know, categorized as such, not my feeling, of course, but it's a massive, unknowable, inefficient bureaucracy that where people were always unproductive and it just, you know, scapegoated, et cetera. And this is, I'm getting somewhere with this eventually. Um, you know, I mean, is that somebody who worked in government and, and was working on something progressive and innovative? Is that, do you take it personally? You're like, wow, these people have no idea what government is or it's just like, ah, that's politics. Yeah. You know, on some level it is just politics. Um, I think it's, um, you know, in our, in our world of media today where, um, the story is really kind of compressed into a headline, there's nothing incredibly sexy about government work, right? Whether, even at the federal level, um, when you think about the civil service and those who are career government and public servants who show up day in, day out, regardless of the administration, um, and the party in power, um, there's, you know, it, when you get to sort of the state and local level, it gets even less sexy. Um, and I think at the end of the day, it's, um, it's vitally important to have, um, not just people fulfilling, uh, those jobs, but really the, the best of the best talent, um, in the U.S. in those roles. And I think people, um, take for granted the work that government does, um, behind the scenes to, you know, improve quality of life, um, to, you know, cure um, terrible and rare diseases to, you know, build our infrastructure um, and ensure that we can have a vibrant, um, you know, tech sector. Um, there is sort of a man behind the curtain or a woman behind the curtain that is, um, you know, making things run. So it does, you know, I, I don't think there's any skin off my back, but it is certainly demoralizing when you have candidates um, who run for office and who are elected to office who make it a habit of railing against. Right, like, um, we're going to shut down major departments. It's like, do you, right. do you understand what that department does? Like, exactly there, right. there are functions that these government, that these, that these departments actually fulfill. I'm like, I'm not advocating for a big government. I'm not suggesting that government is the solution to society's problems always. But like the idea there isn't a role to play for a government, that government's like an enemy is kind of something that I just like, whenever I meet someone in government, I'm like, so you don't seem like you're an incompetent person who would go in unmotivated every day and just sit there and collect a check. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that exists in government. I'm sure it exists at Google somewhere. Exactly. Um, I mean, are there, are there problems with, you know, effective governance throughout, um, you know, federal, state and local? Of course, you know, yeah. I've, I've seen it with my own eyes. Um, I think there are uh, incredible groups out there that are working to combat that. Um, so there's, you know, Bloomberg Philanthropies has an incredible, you know, one of uh, Mike Bloomberg's <coughs> pillars is effective governance. And um, when he was mayor of New York City, you know, that was a, a big initiative of his. Um, there's a, a nonprofit in Washington called the Partnership for Public Service. They do incredible work. Disclaimer, I, I spent a year there in 2009. <laughs> um, but, you know, Max Steyer and that whole crew there, um, you know, they are, they do incredible things to highlight some of our best public servants. They have a program called the Service to America Medals, which are sort of like the Oscars of, uh, of government. And it's a really cool program. I'd encourage people to, to check it out. So you are someone who, I mean, clearly we'll talk about your track record at, at Out in Tech and you're clearly a, you know, a newer, you know, major initiatives have been undertaken in your short tenure as the executive director already uh, of Out in Tech. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're the COO of, um, you know, new schools and charter schools at the New York City Depar Department of Education prior to that. How, I mean, how did you get things done? You know, you oversaw, you know, large team as COO, like how, how did you get things done in, in the government, in, in the public sector? Yeah. So, um, 
It was a little bit of trial and error, I'd say. No two organizations are alike. You know, anyone listening knows that even if you work in um, in one kind of um, sector or discipline, uh, say startups, no two startups are really alike. And the same is true for government. So um, I learned pretty quickly that, um, you know, working honestly to build uh, networks and alliances is probably um, one of the most <coughs> effective things you can do. Just, um, you know, when you kind of come up against a roadblock, um, that really thinking about it in a people-centric kind of way and less about, um, you know, oh, well, it's it's politics or it's this administration or, um, you know, we don't, we're under-resourced or we have... Just try to think about it in terms of who are the people we have at the table and what um, unique skill sets can people contribute. Um, and so um, finding what motivates people, um, you know, whether at a conference table or on a team you manage, um, I think is is really important. And the same has been true at Alton Tech uh, with volunteers. Right. So it's it, so you're. I feel like you're at the Department of Education, and then and then managing Alton Tech. You're like put those two together and you have ed tech, which is such a hot thing right now. Um, and so you're like at the periphery of, of that. Uh, you know, are there any, are there, can you, I'm just curious, like, are there, which, are there any ed tech companies you had your eye on that you're like, wow, this could really, this could be a big deal and could really change things? It's true. I mean, there's, there's certainly, um, you know, I'll say this, it changes uh, to some extent with the administration. So there was a great emphasis on, um, innovation and and the i zone under mayor bloomberg um and i think anything around uh personalized learning and data-driven instruction that sort of changes it up where it's not just teacher doing lecture or teacher facilitating activity but uh it's students moving at their own pace um i think that is you know holds tremendous promise i mean just thinking back to my experience in school anytime that i was given the freedom and autonomy to pick a subject and and take a deep dive at my own pace um i remember in fourth grade i did like independent study on dr martin luther king jr and and the civil rights movement and it was sort of my own side hustle uh in the fourth <laughs> grade that i think is is tremendously motivating uh to students who you know, not just high achieving students, but students who maybe are, are struggling to um, to do well in school. And so I'd like to see more of that. I will say I think it's less about the um, sort of moving the classic textbook into an online format. Right. And it's more about rethinking our curricula in this country. Um, so lots of people are asking questions, and I won't get too political, but about, you know, what what is going on in this country in terms of lack of empathy and, and diversity and inclusion and those aren't really things that we teach um, in a in an orchestrated way, right. um, and I, I actually think that is the the larger issue that um, is not an easy thing to solve. Uh, but how do we kind of impart more um, morals and ethics and philosophy into um, our K twelve system, not just sort of reserving it for you know your masters and and doctoral degrees i think we could teach that that sort of thing much much earlier right so let's talk about out in tech um you know you joined the board when you were still at the department of, of education when you joined i mean did you were you were you even did you even have a clue that you'd one day be running the organization was <laughs> like the furthest thing from your mind 
Not a damn clue. Not a clue. Uh, there, I mean, there was not an inkling in my mind that that I would now uh, be our, our first and only staff right. member. So, so fortuity plays a role in in entrepreneurship. Uh, Absolutely. I, you know, I'm not sure if you think of yourself as a classic entrepreneur, but I mean, you certainly, uh, as we'll see, really, you know, just taken hold of this organization, really grown it. Um, so there was a fortuitous element. Were you were you drafted into it? Or were they were they out there looking for an executive director, or were you like, hey, I'm on this board and I know I can have my impact and I'm I'm I, maybe I can do this. Yeah, it was probably one of the most organic things that's ever happened in my life. So I, um, I'm not a joiner. Like I do not do a lot of extracurriculars. I don't, you know, I'm not part of a lot of, uh, clubs or hobbies. You know, maybe back in college I was, but, uh, fast forward 10 years later, it's not really, um, you know, what I've been about mostly because work has been such a, you know, sort of public service has been, um, kind of all consuming. And I, I thought, maybe let myself experience something new. And I went with a friend to one of their early events. And now fast forward three years later, I'm, you know, I'm sort of stewarding the organization. It's, um, it's incredible. The The connection to me was I was sort of working with our core student information systems at the DOE. And so I thought, okay, that, that counts as, as tech, if not, you know, tech adjacent. Um, and I saw what we were doing in terms of events and bringing people together and, um, I actually piloted our first youth program, just kind of bringing 20 students from around New York City public schools, um, the vast majority of whom identify as LGBTQ, um, are Black and Latino. And we brought them to um, the LGBT Center in the West Village to, to sit with 20 of our members. And that was great. And then we did 30 students with 30 of our members at LinkedIn. And then it really clicked for me that this has tremendous opportunity to kind of uh, leverage our 11,000 members to connect with students who, you know, don't have the same uh, opportunity or exposure to uh, to tech careers. And so our, our one of our goals is to really inspire those students to, to think about tech. So, so the, the youth problem, the program that you launched was launched well before this was just well, while you were a volunteer board member. That's right. Okay. And and then uh, you've, I guess, formalized it when you when you became the executive director. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, you know, basically it just seemed like we had a ton of ideas and a ton of potential, but zero bandwidth. And, and I really love a challenge and, and wanted to see if I could change that. So uh, you, you join out in tech and, and it's got 1,400 members that we said? We have uh, over 11,000 members. Sorry, 40,000. But we'll go with 11,000. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and, um, you know, it's a, it's kind of a blank slate at that point. Like, you, you know, it was primarily social, but now obviously the mandate is, has, has changed significantly. Like, tell, give us a window into like how a nonprofit on, uh, organization works. Like, it was up to you to just, you're, you're, you're the only employee at this point. It was up to you to just kind of define the mandate. Are you constantly talking to the board about it? Do you have your own inner circle? Yeah, this was tricky. Um, I have to say, coming from the New York City Department of Education, which has you know about one hundred thirty-five thousand employees, to being um, you know <laughs> a, one. a team of one was um, was challenging. We do have an incredible board, um, about ten people, and um, I was I was fairly clear, but in in hindsight, maybe not clear enough that I was going to take the first several months really to to do some thinking and meet with folks in the community, um, you know, people who are nonprofit leaders, people who are entrepreneurs and, and leaders in the private sector to think about, you know, where's our greatest impact? What should we experiment with this year? Um, what's our path to becoming a financially kind of sustainable organization? Um, when I started, we you know, I had something like $500 in the bank account. And 
Um, and I thought, I'm just going to take this leap. And, and um, I've been very lucky with the counsel that I've received, both from members of the board and, and our broader community. So, you know, that said, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to put you on the spot because I know in some ways the board are, they are your employers. Um, but like, I look, I was on the inaugural board of Venture for America and there were a lot of different points of view, different egos. Um, you know, there were, uh, admittedly, I was actually one person on the board. It was like, I think we need to go slower. And I was, I was proved wrong very quickly. I and mean, Andrew Yang was, was incredibly aggressive in, in moving the organization f- forward incredibly quickly. How do you manage a, a, a board of, you know, passionate, well-intentioned entrepreneur, uh, uh, you know, leaders who may have competing interests? Yeah, it's, um, you know, it's interesting. And I think, I think you hit the nail on the head that it's um, recognizing that at the core of it, people are there because they're dedicated and they're passionate. Um, and, you know, everyone has a different personality. And I think it's being able to let tensions rise a little bit and and maybe kind of right before the boiling point transform that into action right and and being able to hold a little bit of tension this is i'm sort of referencing the like adaptive leadership marty linsky ron heifetz model of you know we we had a for example we had a very early board retreat um some people were stressed about you know what that um what that would look like and whether it would be valuable and and we sort of did it. And at times, the ambiguity led people to really uh, become kind of anxious, if not angry, uh, at various moments. And I think just coming back to the reason we were all there in the Catskills for that weekend was um, to to think through how can we have the greatest impact possible on the community that we serve. And when we kept coming back to that, um, you know, it, it led us forward. And we're still kind of delivering on plans that we made um, last winter. So you mentioned that you had $500 in the bank when, when you when you started. Um, <laughs> you know, how long did it, I mean, I, I, I hope that there's a little more financial security now. <laughs> how, how, long did it, how long did it take before you were like, okay, this is, I'm on a crisis mode here and I, I'm, my salary is at least safe uh, and I can, I can start to build this thing. Yeah, so um, it took a little while, um, it, it, full disclosure. <laughs> I, um, you know, I mean, I, I sort of very luckily was in uh, a position to, to kind of blow through some of my savings, uh, which I did very quickly. Wow. Um, and it's funny. You know, so I'll, I'll interrupt. We had a great interview last week with, with Nancy Lublin from, uh, from Crisis Text Line and from Do Something and from Dress for Success. She started three nonprofits. And, um, and I sort of said to her, like, wow, it's so novel that you bootstrapped a, 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 a nonprofit. And she's like, almost every nonprofit is bootstrapped. <laughs> and I was like, now, now that you mention it, and it's like, you don't think of it that way because, you know, you think of it as the, the, the service being the service to the organization. And why would someone take a risk on something where there's, where there's l- l- less financial gain? But here you are as, you know, exhibit C because Andrew Yang also really bootstrapped Venture of America to start. Nancy did that with, with Dress for Success. And, and here we have another, person who you're saying you didn't take a salary and and you were living off your personal savings just to get this thing going continue yeah it's it's very <laughs> real um i mean to be in a comparison category with with andrew and Nancy is probably uh, a bit unfair i mean we're um you know we're at a point now thankfully um almost a year later where um we are approaching uh financial security I, i've taken a paycheck uh so you know so that's Um, certainly a nice reward. I think at first it was challenging because it was sort of 
um, me showing up to my donated office at WeWork um, and staring across the booth at a wall, right? And so I had never worked in a startup. There was, um, where do we sort of go from here? Who are we asking? What are we asking them for? What are we, um, you know, really focused on accomplishing um, right away, medium term, long term? And um, over the course of the year, we experimented with different programs, um, particularly around impact, right? So that was my interest was we have these amazing social events. We pack the house, three, 400 people. Um, you know, we have great panel events where we have top LGBT talent coming in to share their story. Um, but what about um, the youth program and, and, you know, what I described earlier? What about um, Gary Goldman, who is head of our New York chapter, came to me right when I was sort of getting these inquiries from various groups about building websites. What if we leveraged our tech talent to create sites for LGBT groups around the world, um, you know, fighting for uh, equal rights in many countries where it's criminalized to be gay. And so back in September, we teamed up with Squarespace to build 10 websites. That was an incredible experiment. We brought seven corporate partners to the table. um, And it's something we're really looking to scale and replicate um, into next year. so, you know, we continue to grow sort of our, our bread and butter, but also really think about impact. So, so, you know, we're talking about impact when you, I'm just, I'm just curious, like, I always wonder about like day one, you, know, you sit down at the table at, at your, at your donated desk at WeWork or, and, 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 you know, it's in this case, it's just you. And, and, and I should, you know, add that, like, I started my own company by myself as just me. I, I know what it's like to sit there at that desk and be like, okay, there's, a, there's a lot to do here. Um, <laughs> Where did you determine that you would like? Were you overwhelmed from day one, like coming in because the organization moving? We're like, wow, there's already not enough time. Or did you create your own trouble? You're like, okay, okay I've got these mandates that I'm, I'm going to take on, and they quickly, I, I have to assume, quickly overwhelmed you, and you just were like, I need four or five of me. Yeah, um, I can't say there were there were too many days where I was completely overwhelmed. It was more, um, you know, had how do I solve these problems? Um, some of which are very basic, like I need, um, design help for my, you know, for my pitch deck. Um, this pitch decks is not something that you do in government very often, right? It's much, it's much more about the memorandum. Um, and so, you know, there were some very basic things that someone far younger and far less experienced probably could have come in and crushed, uh, on day one. Um, and so I, I really did a lot of thinking about what am I, uh, what are my strengths in this role? Right. And so, Part of it was going out and tapping um, my network and the networks of many others to um, to get advice from people. And people were so generous with their time. Um, and many of those initial conversations led to um, programs or funding um, or, you know, volunteers. We have a network of 40 um, core volunteers across the country that we call our leadership team. Um, and so, you know, initially the board was our leadership team, right? Those 10 people planned all the events and did all the work. And now we have um, the board charged more with oversight and these teams in in our four cities um, doing great things. So my job is to really support them. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. So let's, let's talk about some of these initiatives. Um, I mean, the first one to me is crazy. So you launch, you know, a conference, um, you know, uh, 40 speakers, 
450 guests, and that's the first one. Yeah. Like, I'm the type of guy, I, th I, I, I throw a party and I'm petrified until the last moment that no <laughs> one's going to show up. Um, and again, like I just said, I, 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 I with Andrew and, and, and VFA, I was like, let's start with one city and get it right. He's like, let's start with 50. Um, you seem to be like, let's start with 50. So <laughs> were you, were you, were you worried until the last minute that it was like, wow, I got a lot of speakers here and uh, how many guests are really going to be here? Or was it like, yeah, this thing's going to work. Oh, absolutely terrified. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this was bad shit crazy to, to throw in a <laughs> So event. it was pretty crazy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that, uh, that's my fault. Was, wasn't this a little crazy? So, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, to, to do something at the scale, um, I think the stakes were very high. You know, you sort of get one go at this and, and people, um, don't forget, you know, if they pay for a, a conference on a weekend in New York City and it's, um, a nightmare, right? How, how much was the conference? Um, so tickets ranged between 100 and 175. Um, we also did some scholarships uh, from a need-based right. perspective, which we'd like to really ramp up for future events. Um, but, you know, I think people, um, let's put it this way. I had, I'm going to give away the house here. I had a content first strategy because I feel like I've been to a number of conferences uh, around the world and sometimes logistics are seamless and the food is amazing and um, you know, the companion events are, are A+. Plus, but if you have mediocre <clears throat> content, you can't really recover from that. And so I really focused on getting um, interesting speakers to, you know, to talk about a wide range of issues. We also um, are really prioritizing um, kind of becoming a, a more diverse and inclusive organization. So for a group that talks about it a lot, it's also very important that we walk the walk, so that we walk the talk. So, you know, we um, elected our first uh, female president this year, and we've been uh, looking to kind of move away from um, our beginnings, which was a group of friends, many of whom kind of looked, um, you know, like the other. And so this conference was an attempt to do that, to, to change, you know, we could have just talked about tech and AI and, and interesting things in, in that world all day, but we didn't. We decided to, um, talk about diversity and inclusion and, you know, in large part in tech as a lever for social change um, with a focus on, on youth and gun safety. And I think that really, um, you know, was a, a smart decision. I mean, the, the feedback was overwhelmingly that you had amazing uh, speakers from our community. So who, who are some of the amazing speakers? You're talking about the content, give us a window into, into who showed up and what they talked about. Sure. So in the morning we had, um, a great panel to kind of set the tone for the day on on digital media um and that was moderated by shannon keating who's the lgbt editor over at buzzfeed um, and she had just an incredible panel um with uh folks from matthew from mike garth from mtv uh diana from broadly the women's vertical at at, at vice um and and ali uh who uh, is at autostraddle a great independent uh, uh queer women's blog and it just um it really was the conversation that i think we all needed uh post-election and and people um you know had great questions and, and great feedback throughout the day we talked about we kind of carried that theme um jesse hempel um, well, I, sh I shouldn't skip Teddy Goff, Hillary Clinton's chief digital strategist, you know, gave us a great debrief. Jesse Hempel from Back Channel moderated a panel on diversity in tech. Um, 
and then the the youth panel um, by my former colleague Jared Fox over at the DOE. He's the first LGBTQ community liaison uh, at a large urban school district, and I think that uh, is just an incredible uh, stake in the ground about the value of um, you know of reaching out and making sure that all of our students, uh, you know, there are 1.1 million kids in New York City attending public schools, and uh, many of them are LGBTQ identifying. Right. So. Um, so he talked about that, and then um, we wrapped up the day with um, some some folks who are doing great things in the digital advocacy space. So Mark Lay's former executive director of Every Town for Gun Safety. So going back to the uh, the tension around the event itself, was it sold out before? Did, were, were you able to show up and say like, "Oh, okay, this thing's gonna be successful"? We were waiting around for walk-ups on the on that day. Yeah, so we um, we did sell out actually, yeah. and, we, and we weren't really selling tickets at the door, um, which was shocking uh, to me personally. It's a relief. Um, even so, though, I mean, the the tension didn't really dissipate until like the next day. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, in, in the morning we started off on such a high note with that panel on digital media, and then. I thought, okay, brace yourself because this theater is going to be empty by, you know, by the afternoon. And it wasn't. I mean, mm-hmm. it was absolutely just as packed by the time we finished um, and at the after hours at, at Samsung uh, in meatpacking. And um, we had an incredible panel there that I neglected to mention with uh, LGBT founders themselves just talking about um, their experiences, um, you know, being out and and what that means, um, you know, as they grow their startups, David Beatty from Gangels moderated that panel. And it was um, really just a, a, a nice, light and engaging way to, to end the weekend. So next year, Madison Square Garden? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly right. Um, you know, I mean, this could be bigger than the Super Bowl. Who knows? <laughs> but, but is there ambition to grow it? I mean, are, are there, is this going to be an annual thing or is it quarterly or, or you know, semi-annual or are you... What, what, where does this go from here? Yeah, you sound like my board chair. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I hope that this is something that grows. I think the, um, you know, always the pragmatist over here, I um, I think bandwidth is the challenge, right? So making sure we have the right partners at the table so that we can grow this in a way that allows us to do our other impact work um, around, you know, growing our youth program and, and in particular growing our digital core program um you know that's that's the dream but i think the the feeling you know our core mission is to unite the community the feeling um i think across the board was that we did that um you know in the in the largest way possible um on the on the 19th so you got a conference under your belt let's talk about you talked a little bit about about build 10 just give us the fuller picture of what that was maybe just tell us about a couple of the sites that were built and 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 the you know the impact that that they've had hopefully yeah so this this um was probably the most emotional day we've had at Alton Tech we um we had f- assembled 40 volunteers from um our ranks to come and build these sites we recruited um, coders and, you know, UX designers and copywriters and, um, you know, all of whom were using the Squarespace platform to build sites, um, for these groups around the world. And we worked with a number of partner orgs to actually source those groups. So, um, could not have done this. Just, just to be clear, I, I think you said it, but just want to be a hundred percent sure. You know, the idea that w- was that you would, you would, um, be creating sites that would cater to those who basically had were voiceless in their own home countries. Exactly right. I should have started there. So they either had, um, you know, a minimal web presence, no web presence, um, you know, but certainly 
needed improvement um, and in a very desperate way. I mean, this is in many countries where it is illegal to be gay that, uh, you know, using um, sites and apps um, is really the only way to, to find one another, right? You can't go to um, you know a bar and you can't publicly have uh, meetups and things like that. So, um, so we worked with uh, great groups like Alturi and Outright International, um, UN Free and Equal, um, and and even after the fact, connected with the State Department and Special Envoy Randy Berry's office, um, which is a position that we very much hope uh, the Trump administration will keep, um, you know, onto future years. Um, and so we built those sites, and the feedback um, we actually had some of the group leaders um, present that day, um, just kind of by luck. And to see their reactions to the sites that we had built uh, was just, you know, so, incredible. Give us a, like, what would one of those sites have, have been? What what country were you were you catering towards? What was the message of the site? Yeah, so it was, um, it really ran the gamut from China to Russia to Botswana, um, Brazil, and, uh, you know, Fiji had this incredible uh, group uh, focused on transgender issues and um, you know, the, the particular communities varied somewhat, but all with the same message, right? And that's that, um, love is love. And, um, you know, we can kind of rely on each other, even in what might be a hostile environment externally. Um, you know, when we can connect and, and provide safe spaces for each other, um, we can, we can still manage to thrive in an otherwise toxic, um, environment. Let's talk about the about the, the the youth program that you started beforehand. Um, you know, try and both support um, young people in finding their careers, but also to kind of build a pipeline um, towards the tech community. You know, so so where does that that's that that to me is like you got the three major. I'm 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 like you're writing your letter of recommendation here or something like that. You got the conference, <laughs> build ten, and this is the other the other um, you know leg of the stool. Where, where does that where does that uh, um, stand how, you know, again, like, is it just, is that just bandwidth for, for mentors? I mean, I, I assume there are lots of, of, of youngsters out there who would, who would really appreciate, you know, senior mentorship. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is something that we all believe very strongly in, um, you know, having students be able to visualize themselves, um, building the tech companies of the future, I think is, um, you know, is vital. And, as we know, you know, tech is dominated by kind of the straight white male archetype. Um, and the more we can bring, you know, LGBTQ people of all kinds to connect with these students, um, over time, I think we'll really move the needle on that. And, you know, I was talking to, uh, my friend who's a principal in the South Bronx on Sunday and I said, what's, you know, the feeling in your classroom? And, um, he said, well, it's bizarre because, our you know, our students are used to eight years of a black president. They don't right. actually know what it's like to have a white president. Right. Um, so um, I think, you know, it's, it is important for folks to see people in tech leadership roles who, um, who look and, and um, act like them in, in many ways. And so um, that's what we're about. I think for the future of the program, you know, we've had an event-based model um, which I do think is important, you know, exposure just to, um, being on site at LinkedIn in the Empire State Building is, um, can leave a, an indelible mark on a student. I really do believe that. I think 
as we approach 2017, we're thinking about doing things that are more longitudinal and more outcomes oriented. So um, we're talking a lot about creating a, a youth mentorship program, um, kind of an eight week model um, where we pair members of our community with students from around the city who already have kind of a vested interest in um, exploring tech as a career. Um, so that's where I think we'll go from here. So you, 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 uh, you're able to pay yourself. Uh, it's presumably, you know, maybe you made some money on the conference or some, from some sponsorships. So you, you know, maybe things aren't as, as tenuous as, as they once were, you know, like, how I mean, within reason, obviously, everyone won an unlimited budget. But you know, <laughs> how I mean, how much more of a budget would you need to build out the organization to where you feel like it like it needs to be now? You know, like how many more people would you feel like okay, minimum for getting getting a lot, getting what you want accomplished? Um, yeah. um, it's a great question. It's something that now I'm thinking about more and more. Um, I think at a at a core level, um, you know, having one or two others to join me uh, would be, you know, my our biggest limiter is my bandwidth at the moment. Right. So um, to have, um, you know, folks who, and some people are just incredible and can do the work of like five people. And I think if we're able to find those people um, and, and you know, support their salaries, we could do even more, um, you know, in the next one or two years. So that's really what I'm focused on now in December as we kind of take stock of where we are. Um, how can we, you know, get the the right partners at the table to kind of sustain um, some some staff growth? Are you are you a natural at, at fundraising? Is it a, are you are you comfortable in that role? I, I don't know how, how comfortable could one be in that role, but are you comfortable in that role? It's a great question. Some people are are literally born for it. Um, I am not one of those people. Right. I, um, I it was a steep learning curve. I will I will say that. Um, you know, never having worked in in development. Um, you know, I managed billion dollar budgets, uh, but never really had to to ask uh, for them. And um, I think. It is um, an art, but it really boils down to being um, a relationship builder, right? With um, the companies and the representatives of those companies and organizations that you'd like to partner with and, and being clear about the value proposition. Um, and, you know, having people come to us has been probably the most inspiring thing for me personally is the the number of inbounds that I receive on a weekly basis from leading tech companies in the United States that want to support us uh, and partner with us is just mind-blowing. So reading between the lines, I think what you're saying is that the, the, the art to this is, is maybe not have, getting to the point where you don't really have to explicitly ask, where you've kind of created a relationship where it just sort of naturally evolves and becomes, a, a, you know, uh, someone's ready to make a contribution. You might be onto something. Uh, <laughs> actually, if you're interested in our head of development position that I'm, I'm going to be posting, no, I, I'm just kidding. I wish. Um, yeah, I mean, one of the um, things that was also very encouraging to me was we had, like I said, seven uh, sponsors for that first digital core event back in September, um, and you know, many of them actually returned at a much higher level for to sponsor our conference in November. So um, that to me was a, a strong indication that people, um, you know, were were satisfied with their level of involvement and really wanted to, to grow it um, even more. So after this, I'm heading to meet with, um, you know, folks all over the city who are already interested in 2017. And, um, you know, moving away from sort of the transactional event-based model and towards 
long-term strategic partnerships with companies that really have an authentic commitment to to the work that we're doing. Speaking of of growth, Outentech is is in um, you know is in four cities. Um, you know where where are you hoping to grow geographically? Is and you know is there is there a roof on on how big this this uh, this organization can be? Yeah, what's your clearance level? Is it, <laughs> are we at classified top top secret? I think. <laughs> I think I can share that um, there are plans for uh, further expansion. So what, what are the cities? I mean, New York, um, San Francisco, um, LA, and DC? You were uh, three out of four. So New York, SF, LA, and Boston. Boston, okay. Yeah, I'm, Boston is uh, our newest chapter, just a couple weeks old, actually. Okay, I'm a Boston resident. Excellent. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if that, I, I think I've mentioned this on the show before, but I, I, I left New York a couple months ago and I commute just for this podcast often because I enjoy doing it. Very admirable. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, back to you. Uh, okay, so we, so, so Boston, LA, San Fran, New York, and, and bra- potentially breaking news here for, for geographic expansion or not. Yeah, you heard it here first. We, um, you know, we're thinking about, um, I don't think anyone would be surprised, you know, kind of, um, other major tech hubs. Um, we've had conversations with folks in Chicago, uh, and Austin, and, um, I could see setting our sights on, um, you know, Seattle or, even Denver. I mean, there there are sort of lots of cities that just a few years ago were not thought of as tech hubs, but you know, increasingly are are becoming that. Um, it's it's really it boils down to the people on the ground, right? That's been um, the the kind of key ingredient for success. Is do we have people that have this unwavering passion and dedication to build a community of LGBTQ tech enthusiasts? And where we find those people, that's where. Um, you know, these cities really thrive. Can you imagine going beyond the borders? Uh, I'm trying to think of what are the other, what are the international hubs, I guess, like Tel Aviv, uh, London, uh, Toronto, uh, other, other tech hubs? Yeah. So um, it's possible. Certainly we've had, um, we've had some strong interest from folks uh, across the pond in the UK. Um, I have a personal affinity having gone to grad school there. So I would like to see that right. happen. Um, have to kind of you know, weigh that with the board this coming year. Um, but it's certainly possible. And, you know, as, as tech companies are increasingly global, um, I think it, it makes a lot of sense uh, in terms of, you know, engaging um, their employees uh, as well. So society, we've, we've come a long way on, on LGBTQ issues. Um, you know, I, I don't imagine that, that tech is a pretty liberal and open-minded community. Um, you know, like how much longer is, is, that, is that road? It's a great question. And, you know, I think um, it's a tough one because the mile markers keep changing, right? So in at times it feels like there's tremendous progress. Um, and then on a dime that can, you know, the ethos of that progress can change um, and it can feel much differently. Um, I think overall, though, um, you know, a lot of the progress is kind of irreversible. I think, you know, public opinion um shows that. Um, and so that's a great thing. Um, but I do think it's, you know, it boils down to the experience of the individual and, um, you know, being a, a gay Jew from New Jersey is not, uh, the same as, you know, growing up somewhere else, uh, right. with, you know, parents who, who aren't as liberal and, and accepting and, um, and a community that isn't as, as accepting. So, you know, for me personally, I, um, I, I actually didn't come out until, 
um, I had a boss who was gay, and that was uh, John Barry, who was President Obama's um, head of personnel. And it, it really wasn't until sitting, um, you know, at the conference table with him and thinking, well, you know, if he can do it and and he uh, works for the president, then certainly I can. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I think people need those examples um, and need to, unfortunately, you know, that's sort of how human nature works and how empathy works is that you need to sort of see it with your own eyes to, uh, to be comfortable, um, you know, doing it. And um, the more that we can um, encourage uh, people that diversity of thought and diversity of opinion and experience um, is important and actually adds value uh, to companies as they grow, um, you know, and of, of course, uh, gender, race, sexual, or sexual orientation and, and the like, um, the better off we'll all be as, you know, as a people. I think we should leave. we can we can wrap it up on that on that optimistic note <laughs> a note of uh, diversity and inclusion and uh, and 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 hope for more. Um, thank you so much for for uh, for sharing uh, the story of your, your story and the story of Out in Tech with us, Andrew. My pleasure. Thank great having you, and uh, and hopefully we'll have you back with the stories of the MSG uh, Out in Tech conference. Sounds great. I'm, I'm talking to Beyonce about uh, performing at the Super Bowl. <laughs> We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fees 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. See T-Mobile.com.